everyone who's ready to stand up and fight back. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Outspoken. I'm Joy Silver. Our podcast today is presented by Harcourt Desert Homes in Palm Springs. You're just minutes away from learning why Scott Palermo, James Sanic, and their team of real estate professionals are your best solution for buying or selling a home in the Coachella Valley. And you'll find them online at harcourtsdeserthomes.com. And today we are talking to Dick K. Scott. Dick K. Scott started his professional life in tech and is now a founder in a woman-owned company caring for women. A lifelong student of history, he's taken his need to write and turned it into politics and social issues. You can find his mostly too long writings at dickkscott.medium.com. And he tells us that he is not an award-winning author of anything. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you who's listening, Dick K. Scott, how are you? Good. Thank you, Joy. Thank you. Uh, Very excited to talk to you today, Dick, because The Road Decision, Another Dread Scott Nightmare is the title of our show today. And I know you have just a few things to say about this particular thing that's happening. (laughs) Oh, just just a few. Just just some. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, I I wrote... um, that article on medium back in in november when wow. the supreme court originally decided not to in the shadow docket mind you decided not to hear um the case uh, against uh, texas's sba which you know is, is a whole other part on of, of this disaster that's that's rolling forward for us all um you know and that right there i mean it's, it's clearly and blatantly unconstitutional. Um, And my reasoning on that was that, you know, when you look at the Dred Scott decision and you go back, you know, this preceded the the Civil War by only two, three years. Mm. Um, And and the Supreme Court had a chance to look at not just precedent, not just laws, and not just what the Constitution had to say, but to also look at the founders, um, the ideals and the reasoning behind the founding of the country, this idea that, you know, the original settlers from Europe into North America and later what becomes the United States, you know, they were fleeing oppression. They were fleeing religious oppression. And, you know, this is why you have so much emphasis on religious freedom now. Um, but they were re- fleeing oppression because they were different. They had different beliefs. They wanted to live different. And, you know, so you have bigotry, you have uh, uh, religious uh, uh, oppression, and they come here and, you know, they, they then, you know, perpetrate that upon people of African origin. Let, let's talk about this. You've said something that's very important that I just want to uh, pull apart a little bit, if you don't mind, Dick. Um, one of the things you talked about was religious. They came to uh, the Western Hemisphere, as it were, for reasons of fleeing uh, persecution for religious beliefs. And yes. 
But it seems to me that what they were actually talking about with religious freedom, and maybe this is true, it certainly seems to be from my mm-hmm. analysis, they're really talking about different aspects and different sects of Christianity. That's what they were talking about. They weren't talking about necessarily any other religion except the different <laughs> sects of, of um, Christianity. And I'm going to take a step further now, folks. Um, I also think that the Puritans' efforts and the colonizers, the original colonizers, were also looking to come here in order to oppress people in a certain way because they had their own set of rules. And uh, England was having none of that, um, none of that oppressive uh, uh, nonsense going on. They didn't want um, the Puritans in England, and so they came to the colonies or to build the colonies because um, they really couldn't get along with the other Christian sects. So when we're talking about people coming here for religious freedom, I I just want to say it wasn't all religions. Well, you got to remember they're Europeans, right? Right. Um, And if you... You know, most of us here, you know, my history is, is very Western European, um, so, you know, not knocking Europeans in that regard, but looking at the time that this occurred, you know, that was religious freedom, mm-hmm. whether or not they wanted to oppress other people. And they certainly did. They came here and, you know, Boston started off and, uh, and Rhode Island, you know, started off because, um, you know, there was a, dif- uh, a disagreement on religious doctrine and they all wanted to set up their own little spaces that we believe this here and nothing else and you can mm-hmm. believe whatever you want mm-hmm. you know 50 miles north or whatever um uh, yeah and i, I but but I, I, i'm sorry i point i point that out though because i think we're seeing kind of the resurgence of that kind of thinking mm-hmm. because it seems that and and i'm i'm happy that you pointed out the different colonies mm-hmm. that later turned states because the setting up of what is basically a state religion, or since they weren't states yet, a colony religion, is I think where this Roe decision and the underpinnings of it actually go to. They want a, they want a state or a country religion, and I think this really harkens back to the 16 and 1700s. And so uh, I, I just want to point that out because it does lead to states' rights and the insistence upon states' rights, which basically makes each state its own country, and right. um, and what that Dred Scott decision actually produced, which was, as you pointed out, it was three years before the Civil War. Right, and and I mean, there's a lot here to unpack from religion to you know misogyny to you know historical patriarchal society structures to the fact that. Uh, in the last 50, 60 years, American and Western European societies have changed substantially, have not changed also <laughs> substantially. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I was reading through Alito's draft uh, decision there, and, and I made a, a lot of notes. And one thing that you, do, you, did, you touched on is this freedom of religion. So the First Amendment, right? Um, And to be able to freely uh, pursue your religious beliefs as you see fit, essentially. And interestingly, um, and and I wish I 
remembered where I, where I saw this um, article. I think it was the Washington Post. Uh, you know, religious leaders are coming out more and more pointing out that, hey, our religious beliefs are that abortion is perfectly fine. In fact, it's sanctioned by God in certain situations. You know, I'm Jewish. Um, I'm reformed. And, you know, and, and there's a, a rather well-known rabbi, uh, Danya Rottenberg, um, who's been writing about this extensively, uh, her and a few other rabbis, has just started a, um, a foundation, I forget what it's called, uh, about women's, you know, issues in religion and Judaism. And she points out that, you know, the number one tenet in Judaism is that, you know, you have to do what you need to do to save a life. Okay, so that means that if you can't observe the Sabbath, if you have to um, do something that is against one of the commandments uh, in order to preserve a life, that's what you do. Um, and so this comes down to hell. So, you know, there's one thing, so like on the high holidays, you know, it's, it, it, it's, the rule is if you, if you are a sole provider and you have to work, then you have to work. Um, if you're ill, then you have to take care of your body and, and soul and mind before you can come to synagogue. Um, and it comes down as well with pregnancy. If, if the mother's life is in danger, and this encompasses not physical only, but mental health as well, then an abortion is warranted. Um, and that now it gets murky as you start getting closer to, to what everyone, you know, is defined as viability. And I do believe that the different religious religions, including Baha'i, uh, universal, uh, universalists, um, and from my understanding, some Protestant uh, leaders are also, you know, pro-choice here. Um, and say that, you know, the religion, religious doctrine encourages abortion but permits for abortion in certain situations. And so you now have a situation where you have Alito going, well, the 14th Amendment doesn't, you know, guarantee anything, but here's a golden opportunity to turn around and say, but we are in a religiously diverse nation. One of the founding principles uh, in fact, the pillar of the founding of the nation was religious freedom. Um, you know, the First Amendment itself, you know, guarantees the right to an individual to uh, worship as they see fit. And we know that religious leaders across the spectrum uh, are coming out and saying that if you look at the religious text, that abortion is warranted in certain situations. And so we as a court, you know, have to go by the First Amendment and the precedents there. And so abortion, if it's a deeply held, you know, the reasoning, the same reasoning they used in uh, the Hobby Lobby mm -hmm. decision, that they don't have to provide contraception uh, support for their employees because they have a deeply held religious belief that contraception is wrong. Mm -hmm. So here you have a deeply held religious belief that abortion is absolutely right. And, you know, 
the circumstances that's between you and your religious leader. And, you know, so they have to uphold the right so, uh, to an abortion. It's there in the Constitution because it is there in religion. They didn't take that, and it is simply because if you look at his writings and, 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 and the, you know, the, the, the um, legal scholars and the jurists, that, including Hale, that, that <laughs> Hale-Lito relies upon. He's a hell of a guy, that, that guy, Hale. I mean, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, kind of responsible, directly responsible for the Salem witch trials. Thank you very much. Um, you know, uh, it, and, and the 98-page letter he wrote to his daughters about how women were just spendthrifts and basically were just evil and wrong. Um, you know, you got to kind of wonder, you know, what he's suppressing there uh, on his own or what, what trauma he experienced as, as a child for someone in that day and age to be considered, you know, excessively misogynistic. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> for sure. Dick, yeah. um, uh, we our discussion about the road decision, another dread nightmare with uh, Dick K. Scott, will continue in a few moments. Hello, I'm Scott Palermo. And I'm James Sanak. We'd like to take a moment to share with you our unique and successful approach to working with Coachella Valley home buyers, sellers, and real estate investors. Our goal is to build a people-first brokerage, and a significant part of that is making certain that our customers can always count on working with quality, like-minded agents. At Harcourt's Desert Homes, James, myself, and our extraordinary team of dedicated real estate professionals are privileged to work with the best clients through our commitment to personal service and attention to a client's every detail. That commitment is how we have achieved the honor of being ranked to the top 1% of realtors in the desert cities. We have been named to the best of the best realtors in the Coachella Valley by Palm Springs Life magazine. Scott mentioned the word unique a moment ago, but it's not just a marketing buzzword for Harcourt's Desert Homes. In fact, it's our superpower for helping clients worldwide. Harcourt's International is one of the half dozen most successful real estate companies around the globe with more than $34 billion in annual revenue. And it's the unique selling proposition that led us to affiliate our brokerage with Harcourts here in the Coachella Valley. That's right, James, Harcourts Auctions. This platform separates our brand from the rest of the pack. Think of this as a marketing tool similar to Christie's Art Auction in New York City. Just as with other luxury items and fine art, Harcourts Auctions sells luxury real estate to high net worth consumers. For more than six years, our brokerage has won more than 100 sales production awards. We'd love to put that achievement to work for you. We specialize in properties in Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, Indian Wells, and La Quinta. If we can help you, please reach out to us at 760-864-4100. Again, that's 760-864-4100. Or visit Harcourts Desert Homes online at harcourtsdeserthomes.com. That's H A R. C-O-U-R-T-S, deserthomes.com, Harcourts Desert Homes. We're located at 119 North Indian Canyon Drive in downtown Palm Springs. 
Remember, in real estate, knowledge is power. And we are back with Dick K. Scott. The road decision, another Dred Scott nightmare. Dick, there's two things I want to be sure that we touch on a little bit, uh, a little bit more strongly. Um, I want to, um, and I'm hoping you will talk a little bit more about the Dred Scott decision. And then I do want to get to some of those things that we had in an earlier conversation between you and I about what you think uh, Joe Biden can do, given the history of the FDR. So let's start with a little bit, uh, a, a little bit of understanding about what the Dred Scott decision actually said. So the Dred Scott decision, um, and, and apologies if, I, if I'm if i missing anything or I get something wrong here, this is, you know, kind of coming a lot from memory here um, and kind of brushing up a bit. But it said that, um, that be, uh, because of these really, um, what I'll call edge case circumstances, even though Dred Scott lived outside of a slaveholding state uh, for a bit in, in, in Wisconsin, um, or what is now Wisconsin, that uh, the law which said that if a slave lives outside of a slave uh, holding area in a free state, that that you know they they get to be free, and the justices said, well, you know, because of these minute, if you will. Uh, Dred Scott's not free. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, his, his, I hate to use these terms, but his owner, uh, mm-hmm. you know, let him go free. Absolutely. Post this case. Manumission papers. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, let him go free at that point. Um, but, you know, the damage was done. What, so, what the Supreme Court essentially said was that, well, you know, you can have a free state all you want. I mean, this this is, you know, looking at this, and this is the outcome, really. You know, if you have a, a slaveholding state, they kind of don't have to abide by your freedom, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone comes up with their slaves for whatever your law says, you know, they can be free at. It doesn't really matter. So, so what uh, it actually, and so what you're saying then is um, American citizenship for people of African descent regardless of whether they were enslaved or free, the rights and privileges that the Constitution confers upon American citizens would not include them. In other words, those yeah. rights were not the rights of whether the African people of African descent were free or enslaved didn't right. count for them. And now this is, a, a, I think, where the, the parallel to what's happening with this Alito decision or this Alito opinion is going because we're talking about the intrinsic idea that the rights of the American citizen do not include certain categories of people. And this is, I think, this is the danger of that parallel. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And that's where I was going to go with this, is that the Supreme Court at that point in time had had a golden, again, a golden opportunity in the Supreme Court in American history is littered with golden, missed golden opportunities to, to read what the, the Constitution, what I believe, which in a way it should be read, which is what I think the founders overall and overwhelmingly wanted it to be read, which is expansively, which is that we hold that today, you know, all men are created equal means, you know, 
males. But, you know, in 20 years, and I forgot uh, who it was, uh, was uh, Jefferson or yes, Hamilton said that every 20, 20 years, was Jefferson, yes. the Constitution should be thrown out and rewritten. Yes, you know. yes, you are right. It was Jefferson that said that. And the Supreme Court has a, has a golden opportunity to turn around, and they have it today, and they have it then, and they're not taking it to turn around and say, you know, this, it says this in the, in, in the document, but it is supposed to be read expansively, and it's supposed to be read that people's individual liberties grow over time. As society sees fit, we don't take them away. We don't take them away unless there is you know, some outstanding reason like, you know, uh, your freedom means that someone else is enslaved. Well, we don't have that, so we can't, you know. It, basically, it needs to be expansive. So, you know, Tanny there turns around and says, well, African-born people are American citizens, can't be American citizens, never will be American citizens, according to the Constitution, because they weren't included specifically in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, you know this is this is essentially a political maneuver on the Supreme Court to benefit who they see as the real, you know, uh, people of the United States, which are the slaveholders, slaveholders in the South. And you know, you have today, and these Supreme the Supreme Court decisions. Anytime you have a decision that is puts women in an unequal position. Um, it is the Supreme Court turning around and saying that women are not equal citizens of the United States. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we could get away with it, we'd say they're not citizens at all. Right? This, because the Constitution says doesn't men. include them. Yes, that's right. 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 Well, and, and, and the larger danger there, Dick, is also that um, none of the amendments were part of the original Constitution. <laughs> well, yes. right, right. Now, they seem to allow that the amendments are allowed by the original Constitution, therefore they're part of the Constitution. But I am still waiting for someone to come up with a brilliant legal uh, argument that that's actually not true and that any amendment is unconstitutional and it's just the original uh, document, which would really blow everything up and and put us in a complete uh, fascist totalitarian state. If you read the original Constitution without the amendments, and they wrote the amendments, especially the Bill of Rights, you know, realizing that there's a lot of um, loopholes there. Oh, I mean, you know, just giant, wide-open chasms that you could drive through, well, you know, ride through with your horse and buggy, uh, and, and you know, really oppress people and, you know, really uh, uh, make things even worse than they were in, in jolly old England. Well, tell, tell tell us how we can stop this, or what do you think Biden can do? I, I just I, I thought this was a really interesting thing in our conversation. I want our listeners to be able to hear your ideas on this. You did talk about FDR, and you did yes. talk about Joe Biden. So, uh, do take that so, track. Yeah. So the you know it's this weird thing in American political life or society, if you will, that when there is a, a a crisis, the president is allowed a lot of leeway, right, to address it. And and the government overall is allowed a lot of leeway to address it unless it gets in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and this has happened during the Great Depression. So FDR is voted in. And, you know, the thing, in, in order to get the country out of the Great Depression, um, you had to spend, right? And, and you know, this is 
I'll throw this in there. This is something Steve Jobs said about, you know, it was different when he came back to Apple was that, you know, when you have a downturn and if you're going to survive, you can't cut, you got to spend, 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 you got to invest in the future. So then when things get better, you're already ahead of the curve. And so FDR comes in and says, well, we're going to do all these things that, yeah, maybe they're socialistic in nature, but we got to get people to work. We've got to get money back into the economy. We got to do all these things to help the people because 25, 30, percent of the population is out of work and we've got fascists rising we've got communists rising if we want to save the united states we've got to get the economy back on its feet so of course the you know republicans at the time of course you know are fighting against this and saying well no this is this is communism this is socialism we can't have this it's not constitutional and the, and the supreme court at the time kept citing against FDR. Mm. So he got he got sick of it. He, I'm sorry, he got sick of it, and he turns around and says, well, if I can't get my way, I'm going to expand the court, put justices on here, I'm going to rule in my favor, and I'm going to reshape the Supreme Court in basically my image. And, well, the justices, just like today, didn't want that. You know, you're going to ruin the court, you're going to, you know... Put us in a terrible bind. You're gonna, you know, delegitimize us. All these things, and so they started siding with him just enough to keep him at bay. Now, I think that today it's a little different. I think already, even before this decision came up, um, the idea of expanding the Supreme Court was already well rooted, and. Um, because there are a lot of decisions coming out of the Supreme Court that are a little too retro, if for my taste. You know, I mean, I loved, you know, the the fifties comeback during the nineteen eighties and you know whatnot. You know, it was fun, but no one wants to actually live in that time. Anyone who was not a white heterosexual Christian male, mm-hmm. um, straight. Let's add that part in there. Straight. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> very, very straight or, or very well closeted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so as far as what Biden can do, I don't think a threat is going to work. You already have a justice on the Supreme Court whose spouse uh, is a traitor. I, I'm not going to mince words here. Jenny Thomas is a traitor. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if, if what she did is, I mean, if she were uh, the wife of uh, how you know a representative, maybe I could turn around and say, well, you know, she's delusional. But but this is the wife of a Supreme Court justice who's supposed to be turning around and making sure that something you know like an insurrection doesn't happen and doesn't have legal footing mm-hmm. to do so. And she's pushing for it. And I know a lot of couples, you know, and a lot of people who aren't necessarily that close. But you got to. Justice Thomas there knew exactly what his wife was doing, and I absolutely think that he supported it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that he humored her. I think he actively supported it. You know, um, and I think that if Alito's wife had done the same thing, he would have also supported it. I think what Biden can do, and it's really going to be dependent on us, the people, on how the midterms go. But I think that if the midterms go with this even with this draft, even if it's not the final decision, I think, you know, we need to push to ensure that there's an expansion of democratic 
senators, an expansion of Democratic House of Representatives, um, so that we can then have Biden turn around and say, well, we need to bring balance back to the court. Mm-hmm. There's too much uncertainty. There's too much controversy. And, you know, we either have uh, these justices retire, and I get to replace them, um, and we keep it at nine. Although there's no constitutional limit on the number of justices, we could have one. Mm-hmm. We could have 150. We could have one for every state if we wanted to. Um, or we need to add in, and I, I think a good number is 13 justices. Mm-hmm. We need to add in four. And we need to make sure there are term limits. Um whether that's 18 years or 12 years or something, whatever, you know, we think is right. Um, And, you know, we need to have uh, congressional oversight Mm. to ensure that ethics and, you know, the ethics of the court are upheld. Well, Dick Scott, it's been an independent body. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. We're going to have to have you back again. I think you've got some critical points of view, and I must say uh, we've got to make sure to bring more Democrats to the Senate for sure and certainly for the uh, representatives as well. Thank you so much, and um, thank you, Dick, for joining us on Outspoken. I'm Joy Silver reminding you, you can always access our podcasts from Radio111.com or from all major podcast portals. If you'd like to eat email me, you may do so by writing to joy at radio111.com. And when you need help selling or purchasing a home in the greater Palm Springs area, please contact our presenting sponsor, Harcourt's Desert Homes. Their website is just a click away from our show notes today. Their generous support makes it possible to bring you to this podcast, Outspoken. Outspoken.